organizations, while a lot of them are talking about a data strategy, but they're not implementing it at at the right level uh, to truly have the impact that it needs to have in, in the organization. And the other part too, and this applies to us as the data professionals, is that we are too focused on improving the result of the data as opposed to improving the data process itself, because data has a very short shelf life, right? If it's not delivered in the right time, in the right place to the right person, it means nothing, right? So that's the area that I think that we need to focus on. So strategy should be aligned on how do you get the right message to the right audience via the right message at the right time. And also setting the expectations, setting the goal that this capability needs to exist in every business unit and every operation that exists within an organization. And I think that paradigm shift hasn't happened yet. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Data Binge podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode because the show is kicking back off with some new energy and excitement after a short but healthy hiatus. And I just can't wait to share with all of you the special guests and conversations we have lined up. If you're catching this episode around the time of release, October 2021, we are just coming to the end of National Hispanic American Heritage Month a special month celebrating and paying tribute to the generations of Hispanic Americans who have enriched our nation and society. If you've listened to any other episodes of this podcast, you'll know that I'm a huge supporter of diversity and inclusion initiatives, as well as an ally and supporter of communities that just deserve elevation and praise for their positive influence in our society. As a black and Brazilian mixed man growing up here in Southern California, it's been way easier, probably far more easier than most to experience empathy for our Hispanic peers and other communities. And I, I understand that for many of us, we still have more work to do, not only to gain a bit of proximity to the experience of others, but to help cultivate a healthier world for all of us to enjoy together. Mark Schaefer, a peer of mine at Microsoft, he posted a note on LinkedIn a little while ago, carving out some special space for the Hispanic community in lieu of this month, along with some allyship guidance that I'd like to share with you all before we get started today. There's three points. One, don't be afraid to hire, partner, or even speak to people that do not look like you. So this may seem pretty easy, but I think it's challenging to start a conversation, to get closer to someone who is just far different than you in many ways. Assume good intent and ask questions so you can form your opinion on the ideas and points of views of others on your own. I think that's something that is pretty easy to navigate in terms of why that's important. And then volunteer as a mentor. I get a lot of folks that reach out to say, hey, how can I lean into these different communities? You know, volunteer, mentor, you have so much guidance and advice and things that you can give these communities that we can all give, all we have to do is really just lean in and look for opportunities to do that and to help those lives individually. Some really great recommendations that I found warming when I came across uh, Mark's post. And I just think that these can all help us in, in many different ways. I will put some information about National Hispanic American Heritage Month in the show notes of this discussion so you too can get closer to this culture and community. And now for today's discussion. Today's episode is a live discussion recorded September 24th featuring Edson Krev Kerr, VP of Strategy and Data Analytics at the Miami Heat and Chief Data Officer for 601 Analytics. What is 601 Analytics, you ask? It is a real-time analytics platform born out of the Miami Heat that focuses on driving revenue performance in the sports and entertainment industry. So things like capturing and predicting venue attendance, 
sale of tickets, food and beverage items. Imagine real-time crowd prediction and the ability to augment staffing, prevent food waste, and all the other incredible things you can do with the power of data in this environment. Edson brings with him an entire career in data and analytics. His voice comes with a wealth of wisdom on all things business, culture, innovation, and of course, data. You'll also learn a little bit about Miami and why Miami is so special for data. And if you're interested in building new businesses or innovating with the power of data, this episode is for you. We hope you enjoy the discussion and please make sure you follow 601 Analytics on LinkedIn or navigate to 601analytics.com if you're interested and see some of the awesome work Edson and the team are doing. Now I bring you Edson Krev Kerr. Okay, looks like we are live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. If this is your first time tuning in to the Data Binge Podcast, this is a library of discussions focused on the human relationship with technology. We talk a lot about technology. We talk a lot about people. Today, we're talking about both. Introducing you to Edson Krev Kerr, Chief Data Officer at 601 Analytics. Hello, Edson. How are you today? Hey, Derek. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday. Hopefully you have some awesome plans for this weekend. Edson, what's giving you energy today before we kick this thing off? Well, the fact that it's Friday and here in the South Florida, it's beautiful outside, blue skies, warm, but not too humid. And that's a great way to kick off the weekend. It sounds like a sounds like a pretty great way. So Edson, let's get kicked off. Can you talk about what you do today, what 601 Analytics is, and kind of what makes it special? Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about my path towards a career in data. And that started in middle school, where at the time, my older brother, Stanley, was a computer science major. And he brought home his textbooks. And he had a computer, a Commodore 64K, if any one of us are old enough to remember what a Commodore 64K computer was. And so I took advantage of that and started practicing how to code and and starting to learn how to use the technologies to really start wrangling data and use languages like BASIC and COBOL. And that led me to going to a technical high school, which is where I was first exposed to business applications like Lotus 123, then was used to manage financial data, and also exposed me to database management systems like DBase 3 and SQL programming. And eventually I went on to college, but in college I really didn't focus on a learning more technology. I focused on my major in business and undergrad and then healthcare and grad school. But it was during my thesis when I was starting to do the research that I realized that there was a huge gap. And that gap was there was no mechanisms or tools or methods available of mining data out of systems to then correlate and, and analyze it to then produce some results. So that's when I started to experiment with different technologies. And I realized that I'm really developing a niche here that really doesn't exist in the industry. So fast forward, uh, I'm working for United Health Group. I built the team, actually their first data management department, and created a platform that mined uh, claims for erroneous payments. And basically, the first time we rolled out that tool, we were able to identify $250 million. And so had a lot of success there. And then I moved on to consulting and did that for a while. I'm still focused on the same niche, but more in the higher education space. And then opportunities opened up in media. And while at media, an opportunity opened up to join the Miami Heat to lead their data strategy. So it was awesome. I thought it would be a great opportunity to be able to go to basketball games and attend concerts at the arena. And so I took that opportunity. And over the last six years, We've been building a really awesome team of highly skilled individuals who worked on an equally awesome and amazing, great data management platform that really helped us to propel the Miami Heat to become a leader in the space. And so we also realized that there's a huge demand for what the Miami Heat has accomplished. And it really pointed to a very compelling business opportunity. So we productized our capabilities. We launched a startup, 601 Analytics. 
And now I spend most of my time on business development activities, leading client implementations, and working with the team to develop new product features. So Edson, the last thing I think about when I think about Miami is data. <laughs> so just, just wanted to put that out there, but you completely changed my story for how I view Miami. So now I'm going to think about data and real-time analytics and all these different things. You kind of high-leveled the need for data platforms and with this case study from the healthcare platform with kind of erroneous claims, etc. When we're talking about media and entertainment, we're talking about sports fans, we're talking about arenas, venues. What need does a platform like this fulfill in that type of space that the team has discovered is just very high, very high value to some of these organizations? That's a great question. And so if you think about the sports and entertainment industry, it's right now in a period of transition. And, and it's really transitioning from a seasonal, event-centric focused business model to now a customer-focused, lifestyle-oriented and service model. So like if you look at the newer arenas and stadiums that are being built, there are more so large complexes focused on leisure and entertainment and provide options like parks, shops, you know, restaurants and bars, even nightclubs and movie theaters uh, designed to be open 365 days a year. So in addition to the games and concerts. So there's uh, ample opportunity, I think, to really apply what data can do for these businesses, right? Um, we're talking about helping them transition through these huge paradigm shifts. So like, if you think about it in the past with sports teams, they really only knew about customers who are season ticket members or high net worth individuals and the corporations that pay for sponsorships and really had no insights into who the single game customers were. But now there's the possibility through digital mediums to interact with every single customer through mobile platforms or social platforms. And there are so many of them that are coming up and are becoming more popular. So there, I think the critical opportunity is to figure out a way to basically incorporate the strategy on how to leverage data to drive the business in the new business models that they are trying to develop today. And I'm just thinking about some of the things you said. And, and when you think about a space, the American Airlines space, the arena you guys have there, the clubs, the restaurants, the retail, the food, you have all these kind of experiences. And I was really interested in this conversation because there's a lot of spaces that have that. And a lot of these spaces have been declining over the last you know, 18 months or so. And then when you think about digital transformation, and we saw this Forbes article, I'll put it in the chat here, and they talked about how the pandemic fueled digital transformation in the sports world. And there was a bunch of different ways. You see the NFL and MLB allowing fans to buy these cardboard cutouts for like 150 bucks. And now you can kind of immersively be in the, in the stadium and you have the NBA partnered with Microsoft to do the together mode and inside the stadium. So you could kind of feel like you're there virtually. AWS created real-time analytics at, in, with the NFL to actually see the, the athlete catching the ball and you see these beautiful analytics kind of surround this athlete. Do you think that data is becoming more important to organizations because of the fact that we went through this drastic change with having to be in front of people in real space? Absolutely, because the data is essentially the component by which we can exchange or we can have dialogue these days, right? We, because everyone's on a digital platform, everyone's used, is looking for information to make decisions on their mobile phones. And they're trying to figure out, okay, like what options do I want to exercise when I want to entertain myself or, or have an experience? And this is why teams in the sports and entertainment industry really need to get engaged and have a command of exactly how to leverage these platforms in order to drive that engagement and in order to learn about who these fans are and what their interests are. Because that's the only way that we'll be able to have informed insights and be able to take well-planned actions that support the kind of data and the kind of information that we've learned about our fans, right? And this is where we can then be more reactive because if you think about it, the time frame between when a fan learns about something or gives a new piece of information, an opportunity to influence their, their behavior and the time to make the decisions has been reduced to seconds, right? I think it's like three or four seconds, right? And so that means our messaging and the time frame we have to influence that decision is just as short 
And so we really have to have really good strategies in place. We really have to have a really good messaging strategies to provide the contextualized message that we want that specific fan to react to in order to gain their attention, influence them to have their experience with us. One of the things, and I, I love how you said you kind of made that correlation with data and, and language and communication. And, and you're, you're a data person, you're data person, the only data person in Miami, <laughs> you're, you're data, you're a data person. There are plenty of people here <laughs> who do this <laughs> and they're all, and they're all on, the, on our team. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's good. Touche. So, and I was just kind of looking at one of the articles that you shared with me and there was quite a big splash made with the bucks and the chief data or the chief tech and strategy officer, Robert Cordova with the bucks, essentially, you know, this is a sports team. This is the last thing you would hear from someone coming from a sports team, you would think, but he made a comment around how they wanted as an organization to be a data-driven organization. And some of the things that you're providing, you know, kind of getting into the details of the article that's posted in the event, you're able to understand predictively how many folks are going to actually show up to the event. And that may not sound very amazing, but with that information, you can then start to do things with augmenting staff started to augment retail, you know, what type of retail, how much food, what will you be providing? What is the experience to be like based upon that specific use case? Can you get into some other kind of just basic use cases that you just think are really powerful that you guys have explored and think that it's just a fascinating way to use data? Yeah, I think we do. And, and I think we should start with the use case with attendance, right? We think of it just the basic number of how many people just shows up, but really think about the planning that's required to host and facilitate an event uh, that can potentially accommodate 20,000 people. And so you have to make sure you have the right number of people available. You have to make sure you have the right amount of products. You have to have the right amount of pamphlets. Make sure that all of these um, important areas are accessible uh, to help facilitate their experience while they're in the building. And so think about the amount of waste and spoilage you can prevent if you can predict the number of people that are going to be there, specific to where they're going to be sitting, how they're entering the building, and what sort of needs, and anticipate what sort of needs it could potentially have. I know with our use case, doing this with the Miami Heat, we were able to save up to almost a million dollars in operational costs because we were able to use this data around attendance to be able to assess when and how we should staff the arena and also how many people we expect to be sitting in certain areas so we're able to reduce spoilage. And basically, if we predict a certain number of people are coming and we don't think we're attracting enough people to that particular event, how can we market to them more effectively? And so and design a campaign to reach the folks that we want and convince them to come and have the experience with us. So there's really a lot that can be done with this data. And that's why I think the Bucks chose us because we've been able to show that we can use this data to influence the right business outcomes. And yeah, and so as you know, the rest is history. They signed with us and they're able to benefit from what we do as well. I really, really enjoy the positioning with, just you took this one data point, Edson, and I, I spent a lot of time in the data and AI business at Microsoft talking about the importance of just like just having access to the data and what one potential use case can do and how you can, there's multi layers and lots of different outcomes that can come from just one capability. And you talk about attendance. I would have never thought about spoilage. I would have never thought about how, you know, if the, if the building is a leader, a lead building, a leader in energy efficient design, if there's sustainability goals, like all these things play into being able to, whether it's sports fan engagement or whether it's just customer engagement or whether it's just people using product or people using assets or interacting with infrastructure, it sounds like you're really just focused on the ability to create a better environment for how humans interact with the natural world. It seems like that's such a great story and not just in the sports world, but in every organization, in every organization, in every space that desires for humans to be there and be eating and using the restroom and, and you know, facilitating conversations and enjoying themselves. So I was really glued to that, to that statement there that you made there. 
Yeah. And again, we talked about what's happening with the industry, right? We're becoming more customer focused and lifestyle oriented. And in order to determine how to customize the experience to groups of customers who have similar interests and are looking for similar experiences is you have to have the data. Mm-hmm. And it's the data that's going to inform your strategy and in the consumption of your resources. And overall, it's good for the brand and that's good for business. I was uh, listening to this, the CNBC podcast is called The Exchange. It's like my favorite podcast. It's, you know, it's like 48 minutes a day, everything you want to know about stocks, business, global calamities around currency, all that fun stuff that us dads probably love to listen to <laughs> in the evenings. <laughs> and it, it was a special segment on sports card collecting. I know this doesn't have a lot to do with data, but I'll land the plane here in a moment and how these young kids are making all this money with collecting these sports cards. And the pandemic fueled kind of this industry that was already growing. I think over the last 20 years, it, it's like beat that the S&P, I think, was the data point in terms of why folks should be investing in these cards. And then it started getting into this the next world of cards. And it was like this digital athlete cards. And I can't remember, I think it was the NBA. They're just small shots of these cards. And that is all data, all data points. I can't imagine, you know, the AI capabilities with analyzing the different moves and and gifts of the players and being able to extract the value of that artifact and how much people want it and all the other things you can kind of bring into that entire experience. There's a lot of fascinating things, I think, ahead in the world. What gets you excited about some of the things that you guys are doing? What wakes you up in the morning and just really gets you going? Wow. Uh, so many things, right? <laughs> and I think the first thing is the dog barking and, and wanting to jump in the bed, but that's not the point, right? I'd say that what excites me about data is that we're still in the nascent stages. We haven't even begun to see what the impact of what having all this data is going to do to our society, right? Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the digital revolution where folks are now being informed at a pace and at a scale that's unprecedented. We have no idea how it's going to impact us in the next 10 or 20 years, let alone how it's going to impact our industry. However, I think we need to really take steps to understand and be prepared for it. Meaning that if you think about what our strategies are around managing data in an organization, where are different organizations in their stages? And I think there's still a lot of organizations that are viewing data as like a side project, as something that's very technical, as opposed to viewing data as something that needs to be infused with the way they do business, that they need to become a data company themselves in order to then be able to lead the industry or service that they provide to the market. And so it's exciting to me that to see how the data data and data management and the data scaling is how it's evolving in our industry and, and at the pace that it's evolving. I just think it's amazing. And we won't know what that impact will be until much later. And I probably won't be around, but I think the proliferation of data is really a major turning point in human history, just like when the printing press was invented and industrialization and the invention of the microchip. You went here, not me, Edson, because we're getting deep and I'm loving it. <laughs> so let's, let's get into the, the value of data. And when you're talking about, you know, we don't understand the ramification of what this can do for us or how it'll challenge us. I think about the hardest thing every single day. The hardest thing that I take on is to not be influenced by my phone. <laughs> it, it is like being a good husband, check. Being a good father, check. All those things, got it. Just if I can just stop letting the phone and the signals, you know, get to me and because that start. So I think inside of that, there's so much responsibility and there's so much viability for things that are good for the world. I think what latched on to me is the sustainability use case you talked about. We're working a lot with businesses and organizations on how to do more, how to empower the world to do better things in terms of what's good for the planet, what's good for us as, as human beings. But when we talk about, you said there's a tie-in between the data and then there's, this, there's the business. And that's the juice of the conversation. Like That is so incredibly important. And I read this, this Forbes article. I'll put the link to all these different things in the event space how to build an enduring and successful data culture 
within your organization. So like these cultures of data, and, and there's three kind of things. One, it's, it's focusing on the de developing the right mindset and characteristics, having the mindset of the data. And I'd love for you to comment on these items, creating a center of excellence, you know, having training programs and folks who are proficient in kind of these processes within the organization, and then choosing the right solutions to power the right initiatives. Not every business unit needs the same solution and, and kind of taking inventory of what all those things are and making some decisions. When it comes to data culture, what resonates with you and what do you think is lacking, do you think, in most organizations? So let's start with the deficits, right? And I think it's the traditional view of data through the lens of IT or being a scientific or a very separate function apart from the rest of the business operation is what creates that deficit, right? I think that organizations, while a lot of them are talking about a data strategy, but they're not implementing it at, at the right level uh, to truly have the impact that it needs to have in, in the organization. And the other part too, and this applies to us as the data professionals, is that we are too focused on improving the result of the data as opposed to improving the data process itself, because data has a very short shelf life, right? If it's not delivered in the right time, in the right place to the right person, it means nothing, right? So that's the area that I think that we need to focus on. So strategy should be aligned on how do you get the right message to the right audience via the right message at the right time. And also setting the expectations, setting the goal that this capability needs to exist in every business unit in every operation that exists within an organization. And I think that paradigm shift hasn't happened yet. I think there are many organizations that are doing it well and, and they're really trucking towards uh, reaching the highest point of their data maturity. But there are other organizations that are still talking about it, but still allowing the old business paradigms to compartmentalize what data is and where it can be applied or impact the business. And I mean, the clearest way. For me to understand, if someone were to say, hey, who has the most data maturity? First thing I have to do is just look at my phone <laughs> and just, you know, who's impacting, look at my email, look at what's going on in my everyday. We know, you know, off the top of my head, you know, Facebook has an interesting perspective on that. You know, like companies from Nike, you go buy from Nike, the way that your cart is assembled and recommendations and sales and all these different things all come together. You, you can kind of feel these leading businesses tend to have a really great perspective on their data. And I kind of want to get into like the advisory and the guidance that you would give. And I'm constantly running into this issue. And, you know, I work with lots of data scientists and, and folks are constantly talking about data and there's lots going on. And we've kind of discussed what the high level, these are the things you have to have. These are the mindsets you have, you need getting the right data, the right message, the right people, the right time. But what do you do just to start creating that engine of culture, that engine of process and engine of mindset. Like if you arrived at one of these organizations, Edson, coming from a, a career of doing this, you know, what do you do first? That's an excellent question. And that sort of varies depending on the type of organization and the type of service they're in there, right? But generally, I would say it's really four, four main points. And the first main point is you have to get executive buy-in on a, a data strategy. Because if the leaders of your organization can't see the value of using data, it will be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to drive adoption with the rest of the organization. Second is, so assuming you have some level of, of support from the executive ranks, you have to go out throughout, you have to go out in the organization and identify and partner with the data stewards because every organization has them. They have subject matter experts. They are the gatekeepers of the business knowledge that everyone else in the organization relies on, right? And then you need to seek out, partner with them, understand their problems, understand their pain points and figure out how to make their lives easier because they can very quickly tell you which data points really provide the best insights into the performance of the business and where to find them. And also continue to work with them on establishing strong data processes and governance models to try to create common data language across the organization, getting them involved in giving them the ownership 
really position your strategy for success because it will help to establish trust in the metrics that are being published. And because there is already an alliance of the data to the stewards themselves and it has their support, you'll find that the rest of the organization will automatically have trust in what's being delivered. Third, I would say you'd have to keep showing what's possible, meaning deliver proofs of concepts to win leadership and general support and do that every opportunity you get. Because showing those demonstrations really are very effective ways of demonstrating the tangible benefits of using data, and it will immediately generate demand for more. And last, and definitely not least here, is data literacy. You have to drive organizational data literacy. And that way you can ensure that people can understand, apply, and take action on the insights they're consuming. And integrating, data into existing business conversations, meetings, and agendas wherever possible is also a surefire way to drive adoption and have people looking at the same information at the same time to help drive their decisions. I wish you would have written that Forbes article on data culture because I, th- I think these four components are, I mean, you know, just working with businesses like this all the time, that's exactly, you nailed it. It's, those are the things. And obviously, some of those things may oscillate between each other some things becoming of more value than others. Maybe, you know, that executive buy-in, that's something you have to focus on this quarter before you can then focus on understanding that the SME groups within your organization, obviously, yeah, maybe potentially having data literacy before you start investing in a POC or, or maybe investing in a POC to get executive buy-in. So I think I see those four throttling each other as levers to kind of really create experiences that will get people enthused about this new world that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You can basically lever any of those approaches as a way to empower the others, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't have initial executive buy-in, but you have access to the resources in support of the SMEs, and you could really put together some very, very compelling proofs of concept, right? Mm -hmm. If you have executive support and you have SMEs, but you don't have let's say the resources, then it's easy to put together a use case that will prove out that, hey, by investing in the right technologies, that we can actually increase the efficiency of generating the data that the organization uses. But the part that, the one that I think is, again, the most important is really driving the organizational data literacy once you have the right mechanisms in place. Because if you don't have the larger adoption, then you're really catering to just a small group of folks within the organization. And you then really can't, you know, proliferate the impact of data throughout the rest of the enterprise. And Edson, and just kind of circling back around and kind of getting back into 601 Analytics and, and some of the things that you guys are doing there. You know, we've, we've kind of covered why it's exciting the meaning of data, the importance of it, how it's very complex in its value. A lot of things you can do with it. A lot of things we probably can't imagine how it's going to impact us culturally, socially. We've talked a little bit about the need, the gaps in organizations from a, a culture perspective, from a strategy orientation. You, you spend a lot of time doing that. In our, one of our first conversations, we were just kind of talking and we, we started wooing this podcast maybe six months ago. We were kind of talking <laughs> about what this could be and so it's been a long time coming. And I think you mentioned something like, you know, it'd be really great, Derek, if we could cover what's under the hood of getting started, what's under the hood of being a business, being a Miami Heat, being a Bucks, being a whatever organization you want to talk through and coming up with this new way of understanding the customer, understanding the fan, understanding the world. And we talked about how it's really not talked about very, very often. And kind of back then, when this business was starting and this solution was starting to ramp up, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of mistakes and, and things that you, that you did that may have not been the best way forward. Could you just, in the best way you can, just give some clarity around how did this thing just like start? You know, like what were like the, the under the hood processes or, or some of the things that you had to do that were tough, that you wish you would have known that you needed to to wade through to to be successful? Wow. It's kind of hard to view something as being really tough to do when you really enjoy doing it. 
And I really do. And the folks who make up our team are really invested in, in doing what we do very, very well. But to your point, there's always challenges that you will encounter. And that's the reason I go back to the four points around how do you really ensure successful evolution of an organization in the data space is I think, and this, this did not apply to my experience at the Miami Heat before really building the business that we have now, because we actually had amazing support from our president of business operations and the executive team and ownership. And, and without that, really, it couldn't have happened. But however, if you're looking back at what organizations might face when trying to figure out how to monetize a capability and, and bring it to market yes. and, and what kind of issues that they're running into is it's first, you have to make sure you have a clear vision. You have to have, in a sense, a clear understanding of, okay, what are the problems that are out there and what are you solving for? Do you have the right capabilities or how are you, have you figured out how to solve for it? And what's the market opportunity associated with that? And really invest in making sure that the skill sets develop your product or service and make sure that develop it in the, from the mindset that if I were an outside customer, would I want to do business with you? Would I want to buy your services? Would I want to buy your product? And that will inform really whether or not you're producing something that will be worthwhile and that other businesses or, or the market will see value in. I think the second part is also the timing. I think at the time that we started to figure out, hey, we got something here and that we need to expand it and make it a real business case and bring it to market, is that there were very few providers of a solution similar to what we were doing in the market. I think there were maybe three or four, and there were some inherent, what I perceive as inherent shortcomings in how they provided their offerings, especially as things were changing in the market, meaning around data, I should say, meaning that GDPR and CCPA became a very big deal in terms of how do you manage and secure and protect private information. And also the concept of, hey, I own my own data and it should reside in my own, within my own organization, regardless who I'm working with to help me unlock the value of that data. I think that's also something that the solutions that were out in the market previously really didn't address effectively. And I think the timing of us coming along and defining what our value prop is in the market addressed a lot of these things and also made our product more attractive and more compelling to potential customers. And the last thing I'd like to say, it's really the preparation, right? And it's the investment that goes into standing up your business. And again, we had amazing support from the Miami Heat as an organization all the way around. And I would say that everyone, and not just leadership, not just folks within our team, but everyone throughout the organization let their expertise and made a contribution towards the development of our product in our startup. And so, and that is where I think we really benefited from being able to position ourselves to go to market and go to market with the bank. Great points, great points, Edson. We do, we have some energy that came over from a gentleman named Albert Donqua III. He's over in New York. He's a content developer for the Xbox team. He commented, Edson, he got a lot of energy from you. It is hard to imagine something is hard to do when you love what you do. He said, well said. He's got, this dude has a lot of energy. He's got his own live program. He's all about gaming. Connected with him a couple of weeks ago. So glad that he was able to come in and, and make a comment. And I know we only have about 18, 19 minutes left or so. Edson, just kind of going through your points and you continuously kind of hover around the fact that you just had this amazing support team, executive support team, business, you have the data acumen, you sucked up all the data talent in, in Miami, in Florida. <laughs> and I'm asking this selfishly because I'm, I'm helping an organization right now, partnering with an organization to venture into an, a new innovation based upon data. And the hardest thing I'm observing is for an organization to get to the point where, you know, and, and this is probably the, same, the case for most startups, you have this amazing idea, you have the intellectual horsepower to execute, you have the SME knowledge, you're a, a technical organization, 
you know, you have the funding capabilities, you have leadership really focus on this, but there's that you just don't know how this is going to be accepted into the market. You don't know if this creation, this innovation, this concept that you have is going to go well. And you're right at the bridge of investing. You're right at the bridge of investing in this thing. Use cases are constantly hovering. Market need is you're kind of still unsure. What's the breaking point where you just got to go and do it? Like, can you describe, you know, any learnings you have behind that type of thing with your experience in rolling out new data platforms, new experiences, new innovations? That's a great question. And I'll talk about when I was consulting in this part. And during that period in my career, I was actually doing something very similar. I would build data products and bring it to market. And what I realized is that, especially when you're introducing a new product and that really provides no reference point or history of prior success or anything of that nature, is sometimes you got to give it out for free. Find potential customers who you think would benefit the most from your product and ask them, hey, why don't you try it out and become that marquee partner and help us refine our product and make it better. And as part of that process, well, you get to use our product and get its benefits for free. And for us, it's a similar model we have now. 601 Analytics works with its customer Zero, the Miami Heat, to do constant R&D. Every time we think there's an opportunity to create a new feature or introduce a new value, we provide it to the Miami Heat first. They help us vet it out and they help us to determine areas we need to improve. But in the meantime, the Miami Heat and the FTX Arena get the benefits of what that feature generates. So you're exposing this innovative property, this innovative solution to the market, to a marquee customer for the purpose of getting data, getting signaling, working together on making this better. So you're able to fail fast, you're able to fail forward, but you're doing that with a strategic partner who's probably also giving a lot of confidence as well, because now you have multiple organizations, cross-organizational innovation really is kind of how you're approaching that. No, absolutely. Because part of scaling a business is being able to anticipate the shifts in the market and, or what the demand in the market will look like or what the needs of the market are. And there's no better way to get that signaling than from an actual customer with an actual need. And I just saw this comment come over, Edson, from Matthew, Matthew Elias, uh, experienced sports industry sales professional. I can't, I can't say hey, the rest. <laughs> so you guys know each other. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. And uh, Matthew's saying, hey, from a sales perspective, what hurdles did you have to overcome to get people who believe in an old school way of doing things to buy into making decisions based on data? That's a really great comment. How do you get a data culture, data person, data team, everything you guys are doing? How do you go to a, a legacy organization and trying to help them make decisions on data on your platform? Well, it's really demonstrating that the value proposition that you're offering far outweighs the pain points that they're experiencing, right? It's so the thing about change is that everybody wants it, no one wants to do it, right? So you have to demonstrate that the change is worth it. And once you're able to do that, and I wanna get into the process here and how that's done, and I wanna credit that to Matthew, Jafarian, who is the EVP of business strategy at the Miami Heat, is that you got to look at who are the people who will buy in, who are the people who are sort of in the middle, and who are the people who are adamantly against it. And what you want to focus on are the people in those organizations that are sort of in the middle, right? And if you can convince them that your value proposition is greater than the pains of going through the change, right, then now you have two-thirds of the people on your side and it'll be easier to then convince the last third. Got it. So you just basically helped me understand that I should probably never play chess against you, Edson, because you're, you're really thinking <laughs> really thinking about this from a strategic level in terms of advocacy, getting the right people on board. I've spent a lot of time trying to advocate against folks who didn't believe in a particular technology because thinking that if we just get those folks to just change their minds, then we can 
then all work together. And that's just not as easy as kind of going to the folks that are more lax, more open to conversation, more open to discussion around different types of technology, different types of pursuits. Some great comments there. Thanks, Matthew, for that. Just a couple minutes left. So I want to spend the rest of the time, Edson. I know we talked, and one of the biggest reasons that I was pulled to you and your story is the fact that it's very simple. You, you just don't see very many black professionals in the data world. You don't see very many in the technology world. You don't see hardly at all in the leadership world. And I think a lot of folks are trying to change that. I think there's a lot of things in place. Diversity and inclusion is on a lot of people's mind and not focusing on the fact that it's just the best thing to do. Also considering the fact that it is the smartest thing to do from a competitive business perspective. I truly believe that. I think you know diversity in data sets, diversity in users and customers who are using your solutions, diversity in market, and diversity in folks who are actually building the code and designing the algorithms and the analytics to actually extract that information are all very important. But I'd love to give some time to you to talk about the diversity inclusion aspect, why it's important that we bring in more folks that look like you and me, women, different folks from different geographies, age, sexual orientation. You know, why is it important to focus on these types of folks? I'd like to start with first just to give you a, a few metrics around the makeup of 601 Analytics itself, mm -hmm. right? So right now, 80% of our team are foreign language speakers and 25% speak three or more languages. And we're representing around 10 countries and nine languages. Amazing. 75% of our data engineering team are women. 40% of leadership roles are held by women. And really what that's proven out for us is that our diversity actually gives us a competitive advantage, both in being able to find talent where others aren't looking and to being able to engage a global market. And so if you're in the business of doing business around the world or the potential to do business around the world, you have to be able to connect with the people from those regions and you have to be able to communicate and form the relationships. And that's what I believe diversity is all about. And for us, we really encourage the diversity and, and the inclusion by promoting that, for instance, hey, we don't have a requirement in, in, in a lot of instances where someone has to be, let's say, very proficient in English. That's not what we need. What we need is very talented people to be able to communicate in the most comfortable way and create the best product or result possible. And that's worked extremely well for us. And so if there's any advice that I could offer others in the tech space is investing in the diversity of your team really allows folks to be who they are in the work environment and it will bring out the best in them. It will bring out their most creative side because they're being their most authentic self. Authenticity, authentic self. Edson, where does that ethos come from? Is that something that is just the makeup of an MBA organization, a sports team, like you're talking about performance culture, you're obviously a very diverse group of athletes. Is this family orientation coming from you? From like, Where is that ethos coming from, do you think? So I have to credit the foundations of this ethos to Pat Riley, who is the president of basketball operations at the Miami Heat. And he is the initiator of the culture, and it's been taken up and it's been continuously driven by our chief marketing officer at the Miami Heat, uh, Michael McCullough. And so it was easy for us at 601 Analytics to piece together the right foundations around culture and inclusion and diversity because we really had a great organization to model after. Pat Riley, okay. We'll have to put his information there in the, uh, the show notes of the episode. And uh, Miles, he's, he's, he uh, snuck in a question here. Miles, guest services at Miami Heat, he asks, you know, how do you present complicated findings to management? It's the, the easiest way to do that. Complicated findings. I guess it would have to, you would have to define what complicated means, but... Technical, heavily technical. Makes sense. All right. So... And I have to be very transparent here. That's something because I've been so technical 
for most of my career. You're the technical really, person really, in Miami. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, you know, honestly, I really, really have to work at and really what you want to present is the impact and result, not necessarily the technical details of the process. You could have a high level said, hey, this is a process and this is what's happening and this is how it does it. But really, the focus should be around these are the results you can expect. This is the sort of impact that it will have. This is the sort of value that it generates and people will understand. And then it'll be so they'll be able to, in a sense, move from that starting point and get deeper into the more intricate explanations that may require more time and more understanding. And it works. Thanks for that, Miles. Edson, so last question, and great to hear a little bit more about how to get in touch with you. Uh, I know you've, you've done a number of speaking engagements in the tech media entertainment world. So that's kind of how I came to find you. You have a, a, just a litany of, of knowledge around you know, how to build data-infused organizations. Before we get there, this is one of the, the last questions I ask all my guests. If you had unlimited resources, Edson, unlimited, and you had seven days to execute on something, what would you execute on? What would that thing be? Unlimited resources. Time constraint. Unlimited resources. Time constraints and unlimited resources? Yep. Got seven days. Okay. So, and it could be on anything. Anything. Really, it would be how to invest in the team and, and in the community, starting with that. What are the things that we could do that could have the most impact for the team to help them with their personal and professional growth and also to extend our impact into the community? What that actual activity is, I'm not sure, but I would also let the folks tell me what they think I should invest in. Very fun exercise, Edson. Thank you for that. So how do folks get a hold of you, 601 Analytics? What's the best way to, to get in contact? Well, sure. So definitely, I'm on LinkedIn. But we also have a website, 601analytics.com, where you could submit a request for an engagement and so we can have a conversation. And you could also reach me at ecrevker at 601analytics.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks everyone for joining in live. Reginald snuck one last one. Community impact is a great idea. Yes, I think so too. The point of that question is to get the real, real. What do you want to do? What are you focused on? It sounds like team and community. Edson, thanks for joining. Really had a lot of fun here. And I think we should do this again sometime. This is not the last time we'll be talking live. No, thanks, Eric. Um, pleasure being here. All right. Thanks, everyone. The episode will be available on Spotify, all your favorite places to stream. You can find out more at the www.databench.com or you can follow me on LinkedIn or the uh, podcast page. But thanks a lot. Have a great Friday. Thank you, Edson. All right. Bye-bye. You have a great weekend as well. Thanks, everyone. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.